This is the time in our worship when we sit under the preaching of the, the words of God. My big aim here is to drive you to the text of Scripture and to allow those words that are divine, that are living and active and sharp and helpful to begin to change your heart and to change your, uh, your mind. Sometimes that happens in a second, maybe this morning is that morning for you. Sometimes that happens over the course of a year or two, and you realize, whoa, the Lord has, has changed me. Either way, these words are life, and I pray that you would receive them as such. All right, straight talk with you this morning with myself on the subject of what it looks like for Jesus' people to give generously. One of the more interesting parts of being a pastor, elder, shepherd, holding that office in the life of a congregation, is that you become aware of how much money people give to Jesus and to the advance of the gospel in the context of their local church. This, of course, is a good and necessary thing in the life of a church, The only way that pastors can preach well to you, love you well, disciple you well, shepherd you well, is to know you and to know your struggles and to know your sins and to know the state of your souls. And I know of no clearer window into the state of a person's soul and how they're doing in believing the gospel than in how they're doing with their money. This is why when we become members of the body of Christ here, we covenant together and say, I'm going to give, and I realize that for my good, my pastors will be aware of my giving patterns to encourage my discipleship. That's one of our phrases when we step into the life of our church together. To anybody who has not been blown away by gospel grace, Those words sound odd, they're curious, they may be a little troubling, potentially even offensive. What did you just say? But to a Jesus-loving, gospel-believing, holiness-pursuing soul, those words are actually beautiful. We understand the danger and the potential good of our money, and we want Jesus' people helping us to do really well with it. All right, now your pastors do not review giving at 7 a.m. on Sunday morning. You know how there's churches that do that? Bang, 7 a.m. meeting. How was the offering this weekend? That's not how it rolls here at all. But whenever we do review how we are doing with our giving, it's always a roller coaster of emotions for me. There are people in this church who are staggeringly generous, staggeringly generous. And when I see how they give, I am embarrassed for myself, and then I am exhilarated. I am like thrilled. Wow. Look at that faith on display in the way that they give. There are people who kind of give. You know what I mean by that? We kind of give. Whenever I see that, I am both hopeful and also a little uncertain, trying to understand 
is their understanding of the gospel and the value of Jesus' church as the plan A for the mission of God advancing in your souls, in our cities, if we just kind of give. So my emotions there are kind of tempered. They're, they're like this, a little wobbly. Then there are those of us who don't give anything. We just won't do it. We just won't give. For a lot of years, my emotion, when I would see that, would be anger. But that was mostly a sinful response because I want people to be on board with my program and why aren't they giving enough money so we can do what we want to do. Can you feel the sin in there? So I've tried to get away from that emotion. Now when I see that, my primary emotion is sorrow, sadness. You know about Jesus trying to disciple the rich young ruler, calling him to the kingdom of heaven and saying, leave your possessions behind, and he wouldn't do it. He wouldn't do it. And he pivots away from Jesus, and he walks away from the kingdom of God. What was Jesus' emotion in that story? Sorrow. Jesus was sad. That's my emotion when I see in myself or in us, we're just not going to give. And then I get excited to preach and to disciple you and to love you and to talk straight with you, which is what I'm attempting to do today. All right, now I don't know which one of those is you or which season of life you're in with that or how you do with your money, but I know that the Lord's will is to form a people in this room who are wildly generous, who for the glory of his name are set free from the love of money, set free from it, and who just give generously to the church and to those who are in need. That's the big idea of our text today that I'm going to press with you. What does it look like when a Christian community has gospel grace so seared in their soul that it opens their hands and they give? All right, let's pray and we'll jump into it. Father, be gracious to us. This is heavy. This is awesome. You have blessed us. You've got to teach us what to do with that blessing this morning. Don't let us miss you. We make ourselves available to you and your spirit. Hear my prayer. Amen. Okay, whenever you preach or teach on giving, it gets very quiet at the beginning. We've had that moment together. Okay, you can breathe now. And then you realize I'm talking to two different groups of people. One is the group of people who have the spiritual gift of giving. The spiritual gift of giving. Do you know how some people are just super gifted by Jesus' Spirit in some ways for the good of His church? Have you ever met someone who is just gifted with discernment? They're very wise. You have no idea what's going on in your life. You're all confused. You can't, heads or tails. And then you sit with them and it's like gospel Yoda. Believe the gospel, you shall. Forgive your father, you must. And they just discern the whole thing in four words with the subject after the predicate done. That's the gift of discernment. Have you ever met someone with the spiritual gift of encouragement? You know those people? So you're just quickly depressed and discouraged and you're bummed out about everything? 
You spend 10 minutes with them over the coffee, over coffee, and what happens? You're like a hot air balloon for Jesus, right? All of a sudden, you're up in the clouds just because you've been this with, with this person, even for 10 minutes. Have you met someone with the spiritual gift of hospitality? Come on, when you throw a party, you've got pizza, some cans of Sprite, and some napkins, and you're like, that's it, I'm done. These people have decorations and music and ambiance, and they've welcomed you warmly, and there's appetizers and silverware. This is the gift of hospitality. You know it when you see it. There are people who are like that with giving. It makes no sense to them why we would ever need to preach on a text like this. Their hands are always open, ready to give. Our church is filled with them, okay? Uh, The first names that came to mind were Laurel and Josh and Katie U and my mom and my wife and my buddy Jason. Have you hung around near any of these people? They just don't even think about it. Automatic, open hand, and they give. That's a gift. Sometimes you're preaching to those people. Then there's all the rest of us, all the rest of you and me, super glue on our hands. We struggle to give. It is work for us to finally get to the place where we peel these things open and we begin to be generous. Why are we that way? Why is it a struggle for 90% of us? Unbelief is the bottom line answer to that question. We don't yet believe the gospel in a way that affects our use of our wallets and our checkbooks. But before we hit our text, let me take some time to talk concretely with you about what I mean by that. I'm going to put five words up on the screen. Each of these is driving to an issue, issue of unbelief that causes us to not give. I'm going to work with the ones that I think are the least problem in the life of our specific congregation and then get to the real heavy ones with us. So walk through these with me. Here's one issue of unbelief, sloth. That's the, that's the, that's the $5 word for lazy. Some of us are on board with the idea of giving. We got it. We know that as Christians we should be giving. But it's just a mental ascent. Our hearts are not in it. And so we are so unmoved by gospel truth and the needs of the church and the poor that there's no energy there to give. Have you been there? I mean, you will not even figure out how to go online to the website to figure out the five minutes to give. You will not sit down and discipline yourself to say, here's what my giving is going to look like, and I'm getting it done. I was going to give, but I never got around to it. It is a lousy thing for a Christian to say. I've done this before. I have missed opportunities to give to those in need or to give to the church just simply because I'm not really energetic about it, so I'm lazy. Is that your issue of unbelief around your money? All right, here's another one, greed. So some of us just love money, just love it. We love to smell it, we love to count it, we love to account for it. We like QuickBooks and Mint and 
the Motley Fool website? Did you see Slumdog Millionaire and the kid at the end that's shooting his way to the grave and he's in a bathtub filled with $100 bills? That's how we want to go out. We love money. And so we cannot imagine separating ourselves from money. Why would you ever do that? We want as much of it as possible. And once we have it, it's on lockdown. It's ours. We don't give. Is greed the issue in your heart? All right, here's another one. Pride. Some of us struggle to give money away because we are proud of ourselves and we feel like people don't deserve it. Do you remember when Hurricane Katrina swept through New Orleans and just churches, Christians, people were just underwater, did not know where their next meal was going to come from? Remember that story? Uh, There were people who would not give to those in need in that situation. Not my fault that those idiots chose to live in a city that's under sea level. Why would I give my hard-earned money that I got by doing the smart thing, the advisable thing, the wise thing, to some fools? Let them deal with their folly. You feel that? Can I? Yes, there is a time to have a conversation about civil engineering and public policy. But it's not the time when there are churches and Christians and people who don't know where their next meal is going to come from. That's not the time to get all proud and close your fists. Some of us never give to the poor because our immediate thought is that when someone is in need, you know what? If they just weren't losers, they wouldn't be in need like that. And my money's not going to go to losers. What's that? That's pride. Maybe that's our issue. All right, how about this one? These get real for us now, living in the suburbs. How about comfort? This is huge in Bostonian culture. Many of us don't give or barely give simply because we are spending our money as fast as we are earning our money. And it's just going out like this on our comforts. I was in Costco the other day. They've got 179 king-size, super fluffy mattress pillow top thing. Have you seen this? You got to see the girl lying on this thing on the cover of the box. She looks so happy and comfortable. We are on a king-size mattress that we got 15 years ago. And it's been through the potty training of four children, so there's giant pee stains on both sides on both sides. I want that mattress top so bad. I'm standing there in Costco looking at this thing, and I realize with this text in my mind, ooh, 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 here's an opportunity. Here's a decision that I have to make. Do I bless myself with this comfort, or do I constrain myself from this comfort and free up $179 plus tax to give to someone who is in need. Now my point here is not that there's a right or wrong answer to that question, yes or no, on buying the pillow top. Here's my point. For some of us, that's never a dilemma. For some of us, 
That's never a consideration. We are always, only, always buying the mattress. Buying the mattress. Never constrain ourselves in order to give to others. You know the list, right? Vacations, pets, coffee, Gatorade for me, eating out, big screens, mani-pedis. These are not bad things. Many of them are good things. But if they have become the only thing, the only thing going on with your money, something is desperately wrong. All right, one more. Fear, fear. Huge issue in my neighborhood. Huge issue with my peers. We are so afraid that we're going to run out of money that we're terrified to give it away. If you mine down into the bottom anchor of security in the life of a lot of people in greater Boston, you don't find Jesus. What do you find? Money. Savings, security, employability. Are those good things? Those are good things. Savings, insurance, employability. Fine. What's the problem? The problem is when our heart gets so small and so afraid that all we can think of is, I can't give my money away. I need it. I can't give my money away. I'm going to need it. I can't give it away because I'm scared of what might happen. That is unbelief. Some of us live right there. All right, now you could get up and preach and add to the list of whatever your issues are. I ran through my five key ones up here. What's the remedy for this? It's an encounter with gospel grace that exposes and expels our sin and replaces it with a fervor, an energy, a determination to give. Okay, that's my big idea. Let's go to the text and see it in there. This is the book of Acts chapter 11. We're dealing with the big city of Antioch, right? The third biggest city in the Roman Empire, Rome, Alexandria. And then we had a big fight last week of whether it would be Chicago or Dallas or, or Miami or Boston, and we landed on Boston, would be the third best city in this country after L.A. and New York. Just like Melrose, Stoneham, Saugus, Wakefield, Linfield, Boston, Almost nobody in this city knew about or cared about Jesus. Deep sexual sin, deep financial sin, deep political sin, idols everywhere. That was this city. Then these refugees show up from Jerusalem. (laughs) They're on fire for Christ. They begin to give clear and compelling witness clear and compelling witness to the real Jesus. They start to talk about the beautiful, wise, strong, tender, straightforward, humble Jesus who lived a perfect life and died a brutal but atoning death on a cross for sin, rose from the dead to everybody's surprise in victory over sin, ascended to the right hand of the Father, And now has sent his spirit and his apostles 
to declare the wicked good news that anyone who has Jesus as Lord has the forgiveness of sin, freedom from sin, eternal life, and joy unspeakable. That's my big summary of when Luke said, they preached the Lord Jesus. They preached the Lord Jesus. That's what that would have entailed. And a bunch of people who never, ever, ever should have been saved are saved. It's a total shock. And they become very fired up about Christ, Christ's people, Christ's gospel, Christ's mission, so fired up that they earn a slanderous, derogatory nickname. Those are the Christians, the Christians. Then the Spirit throws the next four sentences into your Bible to show you one of the implications of their believing the gospel. And this implication had to do with their money. All right, here's the verses. Look at them with me. Now in these days... Prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. Jerusalem is the bigger and the older church. When they heard about God's grace down in Antioch, they sent some of their best gospel preachers and teachers to minister to them. So this would be if one of the the gifts of God to the American church, some of these big names who just teach so beautifully, came and spent some time in our little church here discipling us. That's what this was. The Lord had prospered the church in the Jerusalem with a bunch of great gospel teachers and preachers. They opened their hands and sent them to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world This took place in the days of Claudius. Agabus is Greek for really bad news. Agabus Stormcrow. Bad news Agabus. Gloom and doom Agabus. That was this guy's nickname. Whenever he showed up with a word from the Lord, it was rough news. This is the guy who tied the Apostle Paul in a belt and said, If you go to Jerusalem, you're going to end up in chains like this. That's who this is. So it's a similar thing here. He signaled, he foretold, uh, he was very dramatic, so maybe he like got an empty bowl and pointed to it and said, famine is coming. Whatever his thing was, he brought this news. Famine is coming to the empire. The best that we can tell, this was the famine of 45 AD. Egypt was the breadbasket of that part of the Roman Empire, Judea. And whenever there was famine in Egypt, there was famine everywhere else. In 45 AD, wicked high Nile flooded out the grain fields, late and tiny harvest. History tells us that the price of grain was two or three times higher in these years than it was for a century in the Roman Empire. That means your money's not going to go very far on your food. For example, has anyone tried to actually shop at the Whole Foods down here? $150 in and I got a a box of cereal, some dried mangoes, and a protein shake. And I'm like, this is not going to do it for a family of six. That's what everyone in Jerusalem was about to experience, high food prices. 
Now here's our question. Who gets affected the most when the price of food goes up? The poor. The poor don't shop at Whole Foods, right? The poor don't have savings or pantries or like basements loaded up with food in case of a crisis. It's the poor who would be affected. And then the other big question is, who made up the majority of Jesus' church in Jerusalem? It was the poor. So Agabus gives this word, famine is coming. The poor Christians in Jerusalem are going to be in desperate straits just to eat. How do the Christians in Antioch respond? What do they do? So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. All right, let's work the words together. The first one in bold is the word determined. That's the word horizo, from which we get the word horizon. It means to set bounds or to settle or to appoint definitively, to decree, to resolve. In other words, to determine is a word that's got, I'm drawing a line in the sand. We're doing this. It has energy to it. It has fervor to it. There's an excitement in this word. In other words, they were not guilted into giving, ah, we've got to squeeze out a couple of bucks for the 20-50-50 raffle here and send some food to Jerusalem. That's not what this is. Together, in one accord, they go, wait, 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 wait. There's a need among Christians. We're in. We're in. There is no way that we're not giving to meet that need. That's that word determined. All right, here's my question. When was the last time that you saw a people excited about having less money? When was the last time you saw anybody pumped up about having less money? When do you get excited? You get excited when there's more money in your pocket, right? Come on, you know the song, just got paid, Friday night, party's hopping. That's when I'm feeling fine, when the money is in my pocket. Have you ever hung out with your friend like within the close vicinity of the time when they got a raise or a promotion? You ever been at Pizza Pizza and some dude hits it on Kino, all his numbers? There's a lot of energy right there. There's a lot of excitement and joy right there. Why? Which way is the money flowing? Into wallets. We get excited about that. Please don't miss. This is the opposite situation. These people are excited to constrain themselves financially, to have less money for comfort and security, to give their money away. What the? Where in the world would that ever come from? Who is that? Who does that? That's Jesus. That's Jesus. The early church had this beautiful creed. We think it was a creed that they recited. It might have been a hymn that they sang. In it were these beautiful words. 
they would sing or they would say to each other, Jesus did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. I feel this with me. Here is divine son of God. He is filled up with all of the powers and all of the abilities and all of the riches and all of the resources of being eternal God. And what does he do with all of that prosperity, all of those riches, all of those resources? What does Jesus do with them? He doesn't grasp. He lets go. He empties himself. He becomes a man. He limits himself. He limits his access to these riches. He constrains himself of what was rightfully his. his. He doesn't grasp, but he gives it away. And why does Jesus do that? He does it for the good of the poor. He does it for the good of the poor. He does it to bring relief salvation to broken, lost, poor sinners. That's the heart of the gospel. This is Jesus' way with you. This is gospel love. And this is the ground of all Christian living. And this is the ground of all Christian giving. Like Jesus for us, And like Jesus before us, we give so that others might be blessed as well. That's exactly what we see in the second big word from this text. Where is it? Here it is. They determine to give energy, excitement. Let's do it. Everyone according to his ability. Ability. That's the word euporio, a euporio. It's... Uh, The only time that this word is used in Scripture, it means to be in prosperous circumstances, to enjoy plenty, to be in a state of well-being. That's this word. What word do we get from euporio? We get the word euphoria. What is that? Euphoria is when we are filled up with joy and happiness, right? So we got Stephen and Shakira. They were married last Saturday. Go spend like five minutes with them. You know what you're going to see? Stephen's got a lot of teeth too, right? He's got like extra teeth in there. You're going to see this euphoria of smiles just jumping off of them. Why? They are filled up with joy from God's grace to them and bringing them together for marriage. Euphoria is when you are just filled up and just blessed like that. You're up here at the top of the fuel level. For the people in Antioch, the euphoria was material. It was financial. The Lord had put them in prosperous circumstances. They were enjoying plenty of money, material wealth. And each of them looked like that, looked at that, and looked at the need of others, and what did they say? It's mine. It's mine. I'm hanging on to it. I'm grasping at it. No. Out of gospel love, each of them said, to the degree that the Lord has blessed me, according to my ability, my plenty, my euphoria, my much, I am going to give 
to others. I am just the means by which Jesus is going to get money to people who need it. Is that like a completely different way of looking at your paycheck and your home and your bank account and your money? I am just the means that the Lord is using to get the money from Him toward those who need it. And He's sweeping me in the middle there to be a means of His grace. We know this is true from the other word that's in bold up here, the brothers. That's the last potent word in this text. If you were not sure that it was the gospel driving their generosity, this word, brothers, seals the deal. All else equal, a Greek person living in Antioch could not care less if a Jew in Jerusalem had a rough go of it. Could not care less. I was at work the other day and somebody said to me, hey, Matt, did you hear Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie are having marital troubles? I was like, here's a dime. Call somebody who cares. Are you kidding me? Did you just waste 10 seconds of my ears? Are they divorced already? I just wanted to see who would like, no. I mean, I really don't care about Brad Pitt's love life. Really don't. <laughs> care. This is how a Hellenist in Antioch is supposed to feel about some poor Jewish peasants in Judea. That's how it's supposed to feel about it. But what has changed in this story? What has changed? They realized that the gospel of Jesus has made them family with these poor people in Judea. And they realized, hold on, Jerusalem had a euphoria of preachers and they sent us Agabus to bless us. We have a euphoria of money. We got to give this money to the brothers to bless them. They send it in service to Jerusalem. And I hope you love this last verse of scripture. And they did so by sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. I just love that because it's just beautiful. They followed through. All right, there are literally a hundred applications and ways that I could love you at the end of this sermon, so let me just give you one. I want you to specifically think about the way that you give to Jesus' church and to those who are in need. Think specifically about that and think on this question. Which best defines you? Is it grasping or is it giving? Are you constantly grasping? Or are you just constantly giving? Is there any evidence in your life that you have constrained yourself out of gospel love to bless others? A Christian does that all the time. Constrains themselves to bless others. To love others. So people, once they get into the life of our church or any gospel preaching church, they're shocked when they start to hear how much money people give to the advance of the gospel in a church. It's like baffling to them. So I remember a conversation with someone where I was like, no, we've got people who give $15,000 a year 
to the ministry of the church, to the advance of the gospel here. And then their face goes all some kind of crazy color white. What? $15,000 a year somebody gives to the advance of the gospel? Yeah, the Lord is euphoriaing them. He is prospering them. And they are returning right to the Lord, the first big chunk of what he's enabling them to give to the church, which is basically mercy ministry writ large, right? There's nothing poorer than sinners in this church and in our cities. And the advance of the gospel through this church is meeting our need where we need it the most, the riches of the gospel. And what's the objection that comes when someone hears that someone would give that much money to God and to the poor? But you could have taken your whole family to Hawaii with that much money. In two years, you could have bought a brand new Honda Accord, and I don't mean the LX that Cruz would buy. I mean the one like with the kick and radio system and the leather seats, the EXS R200L. You could have paid full tuition to St. John's Prep for a year. You could, you could have done all those things with that money. We go, yeah. Or you could see that the money's not yours. And you are just a conduit through which Jesus intends to make people rich like he did by becoming poor, by giving to your church, and by giving to the poor. That's what we do. For some of you this week, this afternoon maybe, needs to become horizo time. Remember the word, determine time. Line in the sand time. I'm going to get my heart to a place where I am anxious to begin to give. Because my money is Jesus' money. He has given up everything so that I might become rich. I am blessed to be a blessing. Do you know the impact that we could have for the gospel with just like a hundred people beginning to believe the gospel in this way? The ministry of the church would be super well-funded And we would constantly be meeting needs in our area of those who needed help in a time of need. Acts 11, this is what Jesus' people do. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray that if it's sloth, that the Lord would set you free. That if it's greed, that he would really set you free. It's such a lie. There's no joy in money. No joy. That if it's pride, or if it's comfort, or if it's fear, that Jesus, by his spirit, through the preaching of his word, would begin to set you free today to be a giver. All right, let's pray together. Holy Spirit, thank you for this story. Thank you for these people who had money and chose not to grasp but to give. It's so beautiful. Would you forgive our laziness and our greed and our pride Would you forgive our endless pursuit of comfort? Would you forgive our fear, our lack of trust in you? Would you set Seven Mile Road just to be the crazy, most generous place going? Would you teach us how to give like you gave to us? Would you set us free from the love of money? Would you make a hard subject, something fun for us to talk about and preach about? Would you move each of us to take a look at how you are prospering us and to say, I'm in, I'm in. I'm going to give 
out of what I've been blessed with so that I might bless others. Would you do this in us, not for our good reputation or to relieve us of guilt, but just because we've been knocked over by the grace of Jesus. He's changed everything for us, and we want everything, including our money, to show it. That's my prayer. I pray that you would hear and answer. Amen. Thanks for listening.